Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, an everlasting invasion of ears as we evangelise about the evocative events against Everton this weekend. We're joined by Zoe and Colo to look ahead to a huge game against Watford. Firstly, Zoe, what an atmosphere, what a game. You took it all in with your own two eyes, didn't you? Absolutely. I was there and absolutely pleased to have been there for once uh, this season, I think. Um, it was just a really nice reminder of football and how it can make you feel when things are going really well. Um, it just just a real pleasure from start to finish. Um, and I just the atmosphere, as you say, was was really, really, really impressive. I thought the players set the tone, went out there first 10 minutes, said, right, we're going for this. We're taking you all with us. Um, and, and the fans responded and it was the best atmosphere, I think, all season. Um, and yeah, just a really, really good 90 minutes of my life that I'm pleased that I spent at Carrow Road. Awesome. I, I watched uh, I watched Match of the Day yesterday. I got round to watching their kind of coverage of it. And it's interesting you mentioned the best atmosphere all season. I think it was Conor McNamara on comms mm-hmm. saying Carrow Road hasn't sounded like this since the championship. Um, and the, the ear-splitting kind of noise of the second goal, which I always think goals that counter-attack goals are cheered the loudest. Yeah. Um, I goals that goals that are on the break and um, where it's all of a sudden there's three bearing down on three and it, you know cause it was Brandon Williams, Pookie and Ida wasn't it running through um when when those chances and you've been going oh go on oh go on oh go on when those chances result in goals the the end the end cheer is huge what about you Colo um and um, I understand uh, you obviously couldn't couldn't actually make it um, no, my wife and I have both had COVID the last um, 10 days, so we've been in isolation station. But, yeah, out now, but didn't really help when I was having to find a way of watching the Everton game online rather than being in the stadium. Yeah, it's something that I think um, last season we all had to kind of deal with making our piece. And I think relatively quickly, because of because of Project Restart beforehand, we got used as football fans to oh well we're, you know we're going to miss bits like that's this is is what it is kind of thing and 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 we all got into a rhythm whereas now as you say it's a case of trying to find ways of of watching it and um, punt you you had a, a nice way of watching it on Saturday didn't you I did yeah I was saying to Zoe before you press the record button I was corporately entertained um, on Saturday and it was a lovely game to be able to you know have that privilege but I think you know probably it's something I only want to do once a season because it's nice as a one-off but actually the atmosphere that you could hear in the Barclay the atmosphere that you could hear building all around the stadium you know this was all four sides that that were really getting into it you kind of really wanted to be a part of it I lost myself with the second goal and then kind of had to look around and went oh shit you know I'm I'm with you know like the posh people and I probably shouldn't be celebrating as, as vigorously as as I was but you know it was one of those goals where as you say you know it was the breakaway you could see it all emerging, and as soon as Williams played that ball, and what a through ball it was! It you was, know, yeah, you know, it was, really it was, that was through the eye of a needle. It was, it was wonderful. And then you kind of think Eda's, you know, taken a too heavier a touch, but he gets there, and it just kind of scrambles over the line. It was a perfectly messy goal, which was always going to cause an eruption in the stands, just because of the way in which it had transpired. But yeah, it was, um, it was great. Well, it was a Jerome Pope as well there. Um, because Williams not only played that great perfect through ball to Eda, but also he intercepted the pass in his mm. own half, bombed forward 60 yards at pace, and then had the composure to pick the pass at the end of it. 
So Williams has been quality the last couple of games. Yeah, it's a Max Aaron's style, um, Max Aaron's versus Sheffield Wednesday style run um, and ball in, and a, a Cameron Jerome versus the Scum style um, toe poke. And that <laughs> yes, is, exactly it's, like that one. Yeah, yes, it was it was tremendous. So um, okay, so Zoe, let's talk about Adamida. Um, he just brought up his goal again. Going back to the match of the day comms and and then the, the analysis after they isolated several beautiful bits of hold up play from him and okay they did they did sort of say why is he being given so much space that's not a very good tackle but I, I think actually that's doing either down it was it was the complete number nine performance for me um it was uh it's been a revelation the last two games really um he's sort of suddenly transformed into this this sort of complete player that I think um you know certainly not many of us I think have, have seen of him before um you know, I, I, it's been much documented that he's really not had very much opportunity to start games, um, to have runs in the side. And, you know, that's difficult for anyone, um, especially somebody um, still sort of trying to, I guess, become become the player that they, you know, that they will be a young player like that. Um, but when I have seen him start games, I've often seen him look like he was struggling physically, um, look a bit lost. Um and, and, you know, maybe that's because he was playing as lone striker role, the pookie replacement role, rather than playing alongside another striker. But um, it's just been it's just been magnificent the last couple of games. And, and on Saturday, he, you know, he really showed us um, the, that player that he can be and, and what an important role he can he can play in the team. And it's very, very exciting. Um, I was I was recalling um, the club's. I think the first one of the first videos that they put out of the Dean Smith era, they put out a, like um, the first training session, I think, that they took with the players. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, noticing that um, there's just this one bit where they're, you know, the, the strikers are all shoot, you know, shooting at goal, taking shots. Ida um, takes one, scores. And you hear, I think off camera, I think you hear Craig Shakespeare saying to him, you don't miss many, do you? Um, and it was this sort of very understated, I've noticed you like, um, you, you know, you're on my radar and um, it does seem like Smith and Shakespeare have maybe taken Eder under their wing and thought, well, there's a player in here, you know, let's bring it out because it might be the difference between us, us going down or staying up. Well, we need an air to Pookie, um, a Pookie air. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I think he, he certainly would fit the bill in that he, if he can play as part of a two, and we seem to have stumbled a bit on a formation of of being a bit harder to to break down and and yeah Everton gave the ball away a phenomenal amount of times um and that was uh useful however a lot of it was due to the fact that we there there wasn't the easy pass on especially against um in parts of the West Ham game um definitely in parts of the Villa game goodness me we were so lacklustre in our press and so lacklustre in our not you know even the press just halfway into our own half just our organization in terms of cutting off obvious easy balls obvious avenues to progress up the pitch that seemed to be missing and, and that kind of meant that a, a team low on confidence and low on form went kind of overplaying and went looking for balls like a couple of those crossfield balls um that they tried to hit that you know when there was there was just no one there it wasn't on but that was because we had done our job with those two banks of four of shuffling over and snuffing out being able to develop down the wings and having to kind of go across. What do you think, Punt? From from a tactical point of view, it it, it seemed a it seems such a big step on. How much do we how much do you think we need to take it with a 
um, a spoonful of Everton sugar that actually, you know, maybe maybe we were just up against a team who were not playing for Rafa anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's they're not playing for Rafa. I, I was really, really surprised that Rafa went 4-4-2 and that he he played two strikers, you know, one of which is just, just you know, kind of someone to hit, you know, in Rondon. And Calvert-Lewin, who, who was kind of returning from injury struggles, they both seem like similar types of striker, although Calvert-Lewin has got a bit more about him. And it it's never struck me that the way in which to kind of pick Norwich apart would be to play long balls to two big men because you've, you know, inevitably we were going to play Hanley and we were going to play Ben Gibson. So, you know, aerially, Norwich probably, well, didn't struggle much, did they? And that also left um, Lungi and Pierre Lays-Malou with, with kind of less to do in midfield because there was, you know, there was fewer bodies. It was usually you'd find if you're coming up against Premier League opposition that they'd be playing a 4-3-3 or a 4 5 one and there would, you know, there would be three around them. But actually, that those two worked incredibly effectively. I think that was probably Pierre Lesmelou's best performance in a Norwich City shirt. Um, I think. I think so. It was Lungi's best midfield performance, maybe in a, in a Norwich City shirt. Although we haven't seen loads of him in midfield, and it was it was the midfield midfield what won it, wasn't it? Um, because because possibly because Rafa took a tactical misstep and, and went four four two. So as much as we were great and look, there's, I'm not taking anything away from the performance because we were terrific as Zoe, you know, kind of quite eloquently, um, you know, kind of extolled the virtues of the crowd getting into it and everyone kind of rose as the game went on. Um, I think there there is an element of, right, it was Everton, they're in dire straits. I think it was one win in 13 or something ridiculous. Um, you know, we, we need to take that with a, a tiny pinch of salt and let's see what happens against Watford. But the one thing that I really took from it and I hadn't seen Norwich City do for months, certainly, you know, kind of since since back in the championship was we managed to manage the game really, really well. So at 2-1, when you're just thinking, I don't fancy this, we've got half an hour to go, Everton are going to score. And look, let's face it, most of us were thinking the worst. Most of us were thinking, you know, Everton are going to create two or three really presentable chances and probably grab an equaliser. But the players didn't believe that. The players managed things really well. There was, you know, top top notch shithousery you know, was in play. Um, you know, we we managed to to just kill Everton attacks with relative ease. Actually, at times they didn't really lay a glove on us apart from the goal and maybe like one or two blocked shots. So the way in which we defended our box as well was really really really, really positive. So there's lots to take that I think is is great and that we need to kind of move into the Watford game with. But it will be very interesting against a Watford side who I would guess will probably um, load the midfield, especially looking at our last two performances and the fact that we've played four four two. And oh, I fucking hate what I play in Watford. I really, really dislike it. And I know we'll get into it um, in a bit, but I am slightly fearful. Well, the, yeah, the thing, the thing with them is, um, I want to make sure that we put to bed um, how poor the home performance was against them so um with regards to to the Watford game the the fact that we've played recently and done well I think helps us from a momentum point of view I think psychologically being off the bottom of the table by two not even just by one place is huge even if there are two or three games in hand here or there I, I would always rather have the points even more so in a relegation scrap than in a promotion scrap I would rather have the points on the board 
um, because um, you know you start to look at you start to look at what Burnley's March and April might might be like. Um, it's, you know, if they were to get another kind of couple of COVID cases, or if they were to get an injury or what, ha- or what have you, um, or just have two or three players coming back from injury in the month where they've got to play the six games, all of a sudden they could be, you know, weakened in some really key matchups. So um, I think, you know, be interesting to see what they do for the remainder of the window. But um, uh, yeah, like I say, in, in, especially in a season like this, I'd rather have the, the, the kind of points, even if it's slightly fewer, um, than have those potential games. So um, let's, let's look at Watford. Um, Zoe, would you... Um, would you pick exactly the same team, bearing in mind we know that Max was back training? Have we had a confirmation on exactly how bad Tim is yet? Has anyone seen that? John, you tend to be good I think, at Yeah, I, th- I think there was some talk that he was off to London to see a specialist in a sling, which is no never idea. really good, is it? No. So uh, he's not playing, is he, on Friday? No, so, so, so besides from um, we've got Angus, Angus in goal, um, same eleven. Uh, and I mean, the question is, would you definitely play Angus? Uh, you've got a choice of, of two keepers. I'm not sure. Gunn did huge amounts when he had to come in um, to to justify that that place as automatic backup. Um, I mean, I'm playing dab- devil's ag- advocate there probably because I think he, he should be in goal. But I don't think it's a, you know, a definitive answer um, necessarily. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I think we should try and keep that kind of consistency where where we can um not much choice in central midfield still so that kind of picks itself um that front four absolutely you know excellent on on Saturday um and I think one thing about Smith's um time at the club so far is that you know when he's had the chance that back five has been has been very settled you know we know what which back five he would pick if he if he's got everyone available, and I think that that has helped us in the games where um, we have played well um, under him. And I think trying to understand what your best team is is always a good thing. Um, if we get more players available, then that obviously makes things more competitive. But I don't think there's there's any embarrassment and any harm in in knowing which team is going to perform best for us. Um, and you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if the big names aren't part of that either. You know, if a team's doing well, then they should be encouraged to keep on playing and keep on playing well. So, um, yeah, happy to see, happy to see that same team and, um, and fingers crossed, uh, crawls not too badly injured. Well, yeah, hopefully it's a, it's a case of, it's going to be a month. Um, be amazed if it's any less than that, if it's sling worthy, um, you, you brought, you brought up Dean Smith and, and sometimes, you know, recent managers, in fact, have ended up um, discovering the best person for a certain position. Look at Max Aarons being thrown in before he was due to being thrown in and, you know, not looking back since. You know, so you can chance upon a really good formation forward slash group of players that you haven't combined before, hadn't planned to combine, and then, then they work well. Um, but yeah, on Dean Smith, I thought it was strange. He seems... He doesn't seem to be making a massive effort to build a bond with the fans. I wanted to ask your opinion on this, Kai, because you're you're always good on. I mean, you obviously were a Farker lover, um, as as everyone was. How how are you on kind of Project Smith at the moment? He just seems to be even like the way he he does his you know congratulate all the players on both sides, shake the other players' hands, don't move from the dugout, four claps to the the stands, and then and then off down the tunnel. He, he doesn't seem to be going out of his way at all to, to endear himself to the fans. Do, do you think, how, where are you at on your on your love for Smith currently? 
<laughs> I, it's, a, it's a tough one because, you know, I, yes, I was a massive, massive fan of Daniel, but I was also mindful of the fact that two points from your first 10 games is not going to get it done. And I, I was surprised that we appointed Smith. I have to say, I think, you know, certainly as a character, he seems, I don't know, yeah, a bit vanilla maybe compared to Daniel. I mean, Daniel was always good for a sound bite and talking about cheesecake and, you know, there was, there was something cuddly about Daniel, wasn't there? Um, that, you know, with Dean, you just don't seem to get, but ultimately it's still very early days. I have to admit, I was feeling pretty fatalistic about the season before Saturday. And I was, you know, not kind of miserable about it, but just pragmatic in that, you know, we're a self-funding club. We can't compete with everyone else on a financial level. We're not playing well enough to give me any hope that we'll be better than three other teams after 38 games. But, you know, there's been more pragmatism about the way we play, a little bit more directness and... You know, me personally, I kind of, I loved our desire to play out from the back under Farker, but ultimately it got us burned so much and we need to be a bit more streetwise. I think I wouldn't read too much into Saturday because I think Rafa played right into our hands. I've never been a fan of Benitez, but that's one for another day. Um, I was delighted to see us turn them over and delighted to see him get the sack. I know he's not a big fan of my work either, um, <laughs> but I'm, I think, you know, Watford away, a team that usually has the kind of Indian sign over us, particularly in the midfield battle, that's going to be a real litmus test of where we're at. And if we can come away with something from that, then, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't start to, you know, we've got some more winnable games coming up. Um, ultimately, nothing's going to do something good for managers um, a manager's popularity among the fans than winning games and getting points on the board. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, that, that's obviously you know you 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 win enough games, you become a canary legend. But the it just it's interesting that I, I think that that is a you talked about him being vanilla. I, I think it's less important to Smith clearly um, that the fans would describe him as a flavour. You know, I think, you know, Farker made it clear from day one in an almost I am the special one way, it, you know, his his way of managing the press, having, you know, almost um, verbatim copy and paste interviews after, after um, to each different channel um, and having, co- co- you know, concocted those words so quickly. Um, you know, he, he was it was all about image and all about, you know, making sure there was that bond with the fans. And, you know, that is part of where his, his culture and where he's from and that, that, that is more more the done thing. Um, I don't know. I just think that when we go through um, a tricky patch again, you know, don't mean to be too doom and gloom that there might be at least one more tricky patch between now and, and you know, when we clearly stay up on the last day of the season. Um, I I just think that if you have made a slightly more of a PR push, slightly more of an effort with the fans maybe you then get bought a bit more time in the same way that Farco I think got more time than he otherwise would have done I mean yes okay he's won a couple of titles which helps and um, so to so John on Watford your bogey team you know the, the, the thing that your nightmares are made of how what do you think what do you think our chances are with the squad that, as we understand it now i.e basically the same as what we had before um but without Timmy what do you think our chances are? You're worried that we're going to get 
what another three three one three nil. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about any kind of significant, um, you know, kind of massive scoreline against us. What what I am worried about is that I can't remember the last time we beat Watford, um, and I can't look. I've been to Vicarage Road a few times. I've only got one nice memory of going to Vicarage Road, and that was the the promotion party in 2000 when I think it was Mackenzie and, and Damian Francis scored. The only other positive thing that I can remember about going to Vicarage Road was. Adrian Forbes scoring and we lost 4-1 but he opened the scoring and that's that's it but that they are the only decent memories I have of of Norwich visiting that stadium and look, it shouldn't be an issue this is um you know a, a fresh manager a fresh set of eyes a fresh squad that that probably well I, I guess a few of them are scarred from from Watford but at the same time you know the the psyche going into it shouldn't you know there shouldn't be a major issue um but as a Norwich fan, you don't think that. As a Norwich fan, you just think, "Oh fuck, it's Watford again," and, and you know they've they've kind of got the wood over us. I I think it's one of those games that we can't lose, rather than it being a must win. I think if we lose, that the the gap then becomes psychologically an issue again, and it, you know we're a couple of results away from from pushing ourselves out of it. And it's it's still remarkable to me that we're only a point or two away from you know kind of fourth bottom, having lost what five or six on the spin. Um, but the fact that we are and the fact that we are now one win away from being, you know, kind of um, fourth bottom on, on Friday night is ridiculous. So let's capitalise on it. I'm not positive about it at all. I would take a draw here and now. But Norwich, go and prove me wrong, please. I'd also take a draw. Well, I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, where a draw is, is excellent for us and, and nightmarish for them. So, you know, you, you do a lot of damage to you know, this is one of their must win games in their running. Um, you know, you, you cannot drop points at home to a team you're trying to pull away from, and so we, we keep them in the thick of it by by going there and drawing. So, um, I think we've yeah. got to find like six or seven more games that we need to win, and this is one of those maybe on a list of like nine or ten that that we can win. So there is still margin for error, but I just don't think we can lose it. No, I I I think the the issue with losing it is the momentum and belief that that we thought we had after the Man United yeah. performance, if not Absolutely. the result, and then evaporated. And, and you know, we, what we can't have is we can't have the archetypal, um, I don't know where that's, that, I don't know where that performance has come from. You know, they were so good against Everton. They've been really good for me in the week. I just didn't see that lack of, that lackadaisical performance coming. We can't have that. You know, we, uh, part of me worries slightly that we used up a lot of our luck on Saturday. Um, I mean, you know, he either could have had another one because he was, he was basically, he got two brilliant through balls, one from us and one from them. And he didn't finish the one from them because of Godfrey being brilliant. Um, and I mean, Godfrey didn't half look fed up. He really did. I mean, that is not how he would have wanted his return to Carrow Road to come. Not necessarily, obviously he would have wanted to have won. But I think the manner in which that team is playing, someone like Godfrey, who's so professional and, and, and holds himself to such a high standard and the effort levels and the, the meticulousness in which he plays the game is so high that I think he in particular is the, is the sort of personality that would be so irked by a return to a former club in such a shower of shit as a team. Um, so I hope we see him again, maybe in a, in a, a shirt of a better club higher up the league, um, you know, coming back to, to Cairo. Um, okay, so let's do some predictions then. Zoe, I would like you to tell me um, who is going to be the Norwich City goal scorers and what the score is going to be. Oh, well, I'm glad you said uh, who's going to be the goal scorers because I think my my addition to this conversation would probably have been that 
I'll take a draw, but it would be really good to have a score draw, I think, because, um, you know, this whole question of whether we whether we score goal, we, we can score goals with any regularity or not. It, it would be really nice to score in two consecutive games, which sounds like yeah. a ridiculous thing to be saying. Um, It'd be nice to score in two consecutive halves of football. I mean, yes. we, we wouldn't do that if we scored in the first half against Watford. So let's, you know, if we could score in the first half and the second half or the second half of Watford and the first half of the next game, that would feel like such an achievement. <laughs> yeah, score three in the second half at Watford and three in the first half of the next game. That would be, yeah. that would be a bonus. But uh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to see Rashica score um, on Friday. I think, um, you know, it's it's been so good to have him back um, and, adding adding goals to what he brings us would be um would be even better um situation so i'd love to see rashitsa on the score sheet i'd love to see one of lace malou's shots go in um you know from miles out uh, i'd absolutely it doesn't love hit that. hard enough his, one of them's his... bound to go in at some point isn't it yeah like the sort of teddy <laughs> factor but i mean he he um he is such a fan of set pieces hovering on the edge of the box for them and you know to be fair to him he the ratio with which um or rather the, the percentage of which number of balls that drop outside the box are do drop to him he does seem to read that kind of outball mm-hmm. very well but his kind he of hits the target the with regularity as well i think that's the good thing he does. is that he he does yeah and so one of but those gently, he'll he'll hit through enough gently. to go no I, d- I don't know i think you've been a bit harsh i think one or two of them have but i think you know, it will. He's he's struck some really well, and they've gone straight down the goalkeeper's throat. And he's not struck some so well, and they've kind of gone in the corner. It's only a matter of time before you know. The... Yeah, one goes through someone's legs, and the keeper's exactly, unsighted. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that would come on Friday, and you look like an absolute visionary <laughs> for the first time ever. Um, okay, so what's what's Wait. your score? What's your score going to be, Collar? And who's the Norwich goal scorers? No, no. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, I was I was thinking nil nil, but realistically, you know, it's going to be one of those six pointers where no one wants to lose it. But just because of the fact that we're missing four first choice midfielders, you know, we've got. I'm assuming that none of Rook, McLean, Norman, or um, Gilmore will be available. Um, but also, we did look a little bit more incisive with one and a half up front. Um, Pookie doing his thing, kind of making the runs that he usually makes and Ida being a brilliant foil for him, holding the ball up. Um, I'm going to say one all and Pookie. Okay. Um, John? I too was going to go for one all and I, I kind of agree with um, with what Colo said about you know our increased potency, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily down to the two. I think actually so the one thing that I haven't seen massively overstated in the aftermath of Saturday was... Josh Sargent's performance because I just thought he was absolutely terrific and actually it wasn't just a workmanlike hustle bustle I'm going to get in people's faces performance I thought his first touch was really good I, I thought you know that he he put himself about in an in quite an educated way you know kind of he was he was up against defenders with a really decent pedigree and I just think that actually maybe we need to reset our expectations of him and Possibly he's now a right winger and he's, you know, never gonna be a centre forward. Um and and maybe Dean Smith has realised that in the same way, actually, weirdly enough, that Dean Smith might have realised um that Adam Eder, who was being, I think, was being cultivated into a wide forward by Daniel Farker, is actually, you know, kind of a central striker and someone who can lead the line really well. So I think they're just starting to find a formula where 
I don't know, maybe, you know, we will start to score a few more goals. Rashita should have opened his his league account on Saturday, shouldn't he, when yeah, he, he struck the post with the final kick of the game. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for one all. I'm going to go for Josh Sargent will open his account, um, but it will be a late equaliser, which will further buoy the I mood. I thought you were going to say, just, but it will be an attempted defensive clearance or he'll be trying to do something mate, else. <laughs> I, would, I would love that right off. No, but I would, um, look, I think it'll be one of those ones where Watford might just take the lead. We equalise in the second half and it just feels almost like a win and hopefully a gut punch for Watford. Awesome. Okay. Um, did anyone get in touch with us to rustle our mailbag and fill it with such questions that we can spend time answering? They did, um, although we might have touched on a few of these bits, but I will kick off with... It's not our um, fault. Question should be more original. Yeah, fair. Um, I'll start with Andrew Kent on the Twitters. Oh, right, he yeah. said, do Adam Eder's last two performance show an improvement in the coaching by Dino and Shaky versus Farker? He looks more like the striker his potential suggested a few years ago, but seems to be linking play by dropping deeper. So, Tom, as a, a man who... Regularly, I would say, questioned the coaching credentials of our dear Herr Farker. Um, what do you reckon? Is this an improvement in coaching? Uh, I think we need a bigger sample size um, because we've seen a couple of flashes in the pan now. We've, we've seen two and a half brilliant performances. That two and a half of our two and a half games under Smith have been better than anything Daniel Farker has served us up since Project Restart. Um, obviously, we, you know, we haven't had hit the heights of the Chelsea and the Man City from the start of the previous Farker Premier League season. But, you know, definitely it's fair to say that we have seen some really, really likeable stuff from this squad under under these guys. I think you've got to, you know, going back to what Zoe and I were joking about earlier with back-to-back halves, we, let's see let's see either be an absolute pain in Watford's, um, you know, defensive guards' arse on, on, on Friday night. Let's see Rashica do back-to-back fantastic winger performances. Let's see Sargent um, be, put that work ethic to such good use, um, you know, to two games in a row. Then I think you've definitely got an argument for um, maybe Smiths and, and Shakespeare being able to be more flexible in coaching. Because the one the one thing that, that all of the Farker stats, um, and he is, of course, statue worthy, but, the, you know, he never, ever was able to shake the flexibility um, kind of doubt um, this is the way I know how to set a team up. This is how I know how to win a league. Um, what happens when I get found out? What happens when I don't have the players of quite that ability to do it? Can I mix it in a different way? And you know, the, two of the form, two of the really good performances have come in different formations with different players under this coaching team. So, I would say from that point of view, Kenty, the early signs are positive that they are at least as good. But you know, we just mentioned Ben Godfrey was developed under the, you know Farkas. Um, Tutorship and you know what what a fantastic player we watched evolve before our eyes with him, so yeah let's let's see it a few more times but we could be on to something. Zoe, what do you think as um as a you know kind of paid up member of the Daniel Farker <laughs> fan club and someone who um hopefully is about to write some very lovely words about him for um a long come Norwich print fanzine issue six which will be out soon folks. What do you think? What what are the main differences I guess between the two coaches? Um, yeah, it's it's sort of really a, a, an interesting conversation, I guess. Um, sort of touching on that kind of stubbornness that Farga, Farker had, um, that reluctance to change. Sometimes I think he was often, if it was often led 
by his emotions, which it carried us quite a long way, um, I think, in positive sense. But um, when things were going badly, I think it, it didn't help. Um, and I think allowing Smith and Shakespeare to come in with kind of new, fresh eyes that weren't clouded by, um, you know, three seasons of of incredible highs and incredible lows. And, um, you know, they, they were able to form their own judgments on our squad, which, um, you know, I, I think Farker was, you know, so bogged down in, in that three years of, you know, these are the players that I'm going to play and this is the way that I'm going to play. Um, you know, you don't, you don't get that fresh start without without new people coming in. Um, you know, they've they've got such great pedigree coming in as coaches and experience. Um, you know, it is a different setup. And um and going back to, to what you were talking about, Tom, earlier about whether Smith is doing enough with the fans, it you know, it's so difficult for him to come in. I think um as you know, so quickly after a manager who had got us all going and, you know, we had that emotional connection with Farker, I think, that um, you don't often get with managers and it's very difficult. And, you know, we, we'd we come, we'd sort of been separated from that and, you know, obviously feeling a lot of emotions around whether it was the right thing to do, whether we were happy about it, how much we were going to miss him. And also then Smith was coming in out of what was effectively his dream job and he'd been sacked from it. And I think, you know, we we shouldn't, disregard that as the fact you know he'd come from a very recent I guess breakup with his you know with that club and sort of forming this new relationship um between the two you know it it does take time and I do wonder whether he's sort of playing it quite calmly and quite sort of without emotion because he wants to build something I guess that's real and from us to jump from such a connection with Farker into something new and from him to go from managing his boyfriend a uh, boyfriend boy, boyhood club dear me. um <laughs> the uh, analogy boyhood. was already there you just yeah you i just mean got, i was just, just, thinking, just thinking, yeah. thinking about boyfriends so basically um, what you're saying is we don't you don't think he's ready to meet our mum yet and, yeah, exactly. and that doesn't mean he's not going to meet our mum it doesn't mean he's, he doesn't want to come around for dinner exactly. he's not ready to come on that family holiday that we have every year you know he he but he basically he just needs to play a little bit cool and you know you we've told him that it's not too soon and we're not a rebound but you know he needs his own time so he yeah I, I get and our it. mums need their own time as well to get used to it and you know they're not they're yeah. not quite ready for it and I think like that you've got to and he's um, and probably what he's decided is that he is going to try and form that relationship with us through positive results on the pitch and that you know that is where to start with it all um and you know he's he is not Daniel Farker and we are not Aston Villa for him. And, you know, you, you've got to find your own way then. You've got to become, you know, something different. You, you know, we can't carry on comparing him completely directly with Farker because, it, you know, it, it's so different. You know, that would that's unfair on him probably, um, I, I would say. And, you know, like, hopefully we're going to get some really great results and we're going to stay up and, you know, things are going to be, be really positive. But, um that doesn't mean that we can disregard everything positive that happened under Farker. And it also doesn't mean that because things had gone bad, badly, we can write Farker off. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to sort of move from one to the other without constantly comparing them. But I think all that we know so far is that they're very different characters um, and things are going to be very different. And, and we're all still adjusting probably. 
I think another thing that's quite important in that is that when you think about Farker, you usually think of him in synonymously with Farker and Weber and the project. And it was very much something that Stuart Weber initiated, picked Farker as his man, stuck with him through thick and thin for four plus years, had some brilliant times together. It was evident in the entire way the club was being run right from the first team down through the age groups at Colney that there was a distinctive playing style a distinctive philosophy and now Stuart has made the decision to dispense with the head coach from that you know do you just want someone to come in and say this is the style we play you've got to make them play it you can't do that because no manager in their right mind is going to come and say okay I'll just implement your style of football and not have their own opinions about it and you know Dean's looked at where we are he's as I said before made us a bit more pragmatic made us a bit more direct made us a bit more physical which you need to be but no one wants us to become the next Burnley a long ball merchant but it's you know I think he's actually made some pretty astute decisions and um, going back to the original question that came in I think Ida is a really good example of that like Ida, I thought, was largely toothless when he played up front on his own for the Republic of Ireland. You know, when he started as a striker, aside from that hat-trick in, was it at Burnley in the FA Cup? And he never really looked like being a good target man on it, like as a, a lone striker. Um, Farker was trying to groom him into being a wide forward, which I really don't think suited his skill set. I think they've come in bolstered his confidence and said, look, you're a unit, you're relatively quick, you hold the ball up well, you've got good awareness, forge a partnership with Pookie. And I don't think he's yet had the chance to form a strike partnership. And I think as part of a two-man front line, I think Ida could be a really, really positive kind of um, story for us in the second half of the season. Because Preston yeah, was a trick, weren't we? Yeah. You got the right counting. I'd... Um... I'd agree with a lot of that, Colo. I'd, I'd come back to to Zoe's point, actually, about I don't think we can underplay how special a manager Daniel Farker was slash is and, and how much of an indelible mark that he's kind of made in Canary folklore, really, because there aren't, you know, we were we were had four and a half years of of really special times under Daniel Farker that, look, let's face it, you know, we we probably... For a couple of those seasons, we won't play that well again for for some time, and that isn't me being negative. I think it's just the fact that I can look back across a, a body of evidence, i.e., the the kind of thirty eight years that I've been watching um, Norwich City Football Club, and think actually there weren't many better times than that. There weren't many times when I felt as connected to to a team or a manager and the individuals that that he'd assembled. So, I think you're absolutely right, Zoe, that Dean Smith is probably playing quite a canny game. And, you know, hopefully we're not both on the rebound and this isn't destined for failure and that actually he is just just slowly, slowly and and let's build it. But look, we've got another question here from Paul Buller and I'm going to come straight to you on this one, Zoe. Um, describe your immediate emotions when you first saw those pictures of Daniel Farker with his new team in Russia. It's it's very sort of very exci- exciting, isn't it, that he's gone sort of gone to Russia. I don't think anybody really really saw that one coming and you know just imagining him and stood in the snow uh kind of very bleak kind of background with him sort of really standing out very high definition against this sort of background um yeah I I mean it the idea of him managing anybody else uh is weird 
Um, the fact that it's so far away, it's not like we are sort of bombarded with news from the Russian leagues every week. It's probably quite helpful, I would say, um, for not thinking about, you know, about what he's up to all the time and, and wondering how he's getting on. But um, yeah, really interesting choice from him. I think, you know, it seems like a a positive choice, you know, the chance of European football, um, something a bit different, something a bit unexpected. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, imagine the scope for how many coats he can buy when he's uh, <laughs> he's having to manage in Russia. I think, you know, that investment in his £700 coats or whatever they were is really going to pay off, I think, once he's once he's pushing the poppers in on his uh, on his hood as he sort of cowers against the weather. I think, um, yeah, it's... It's it's hard to think about him going somewhere else, but I'm really glad that he's got a new job and and I hope he you know I hope he really makes the most of it because I don't want any you know we spent Paul Lambert's reign at Norwich thinking that he that man could do anything he he wanted to you know he he it felt like he was the real deal um, and then we know what happened after that and it sort of you know it it makes you question how you felt at the time I think with with Paul Lambert. Um, and and that feeling that he was just terrific and um and you don't want that to happen with Farke you want him to have success wherever he goes because we all know how special he is and we don't want that to to have only happened with us you know we I, I I'm happy to share him with other people like I, I want him to to have that success elsewhere because he is he is something special and and football needs people like him you know uh, people that really understand it as a game that understand it as entertainment that understand what really motivates fans um and you know he should take that wherever you know wherever he can um and hopefully he has loads of success with it very well put thank you i'm going to move on then to elizabeth coldwell who asked and collab i'll start with you um tease asked who was your man of the match on saturday or did you see it as a whole team performance Ah, it's a good one. I'm, I'm usually kind of watching from my perch up in the river end. I get a really good view of like what's happening off the ball. But, you know, having to, well, I mean, legally, I, I think I can say that I've, I've I found a way to accidentally hazard upon the match on the internet. <laughs> um, and it was a bit glitchy. So I don't feel I got as good a view, as view as I usually do. But certainly it did seem to be an excellent whole team performance there were no identifiable weaknesses I think you've got to give massive props to Les Mello and Sorensen for holding the centre of the park when as I said earlier there were four first choice midfielders unavailable so those guys were heroic in winning that midfield battle even though Rafa gave them the opportunity to by playing 4-4-2 um I think Brandon Williams was excellent I think um, Ida obviously had his most complete game. Um, I think Ida's the obvious choice. Sergeant again had his best game for the club. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say Brandon Williams, not only for his, you know, fantastic part in the goal, both defensively and attacking, but just you know, he really seems to have made that position his own. I know Yanulis has had a really tough time of it. He's been brought off at half time a couple of times and you know his defensive credentials have looked a little bit edgy but Williams is really making that place his own he's tenacious he's surprisingly quick he'll run forward with the ball he 
you know, he seems a good communicator. Um, I'm going to say Williams is probably not going to be a common choice from Saturday, but from what I saw of the game, yeah, Sergeant and Eda and central midfield, great, but Brandon Williams. So, um, Tom, I mean, Colo seems to have mentioned the whole team, I reckon, but, you know, can you pick someone else? <laughs> and can I name anyone else that played for Norwich on Saturday? Um, I think Sorensen deserves a, a mention because um, he was he had a good game, and I mean this as a compliment, I'm prefacing this as, 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 as a compliment, he had a good game almost in the same way that a really good referee has a good game in that you didn't you don't notice a, a really good referee you you knew, noticed him and he made some important um uh, interceptions and and kind of broke up play but he was he was kind of anonymous in 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 as much as what i was saying earlier about everton not having the opportunity to build um and having to kind of really try and be creative with the way they tried to cross the ball across because he shuffled from side to side and he closed down so well. Um, and when Everton broke, what I think was a big difference was how quickly he gets back into position compared to, say, a Rupp or a, um, or, or a Gilmore. He seems to really have the defensive side of midfield down. And I wouldn't be surprised if, um, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season it is Sorensen plus a another as our starting centre midfielders when everyone's fit. I, I really think that he needs to be given a run of, 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 of games. Bear in mind that compared to many other of our midfielders, his, his, oh, this, is, this is properly tempting fate, but his injury record is so good. You know, he's been available when others have fallen down in multiple positions. Um, so yeah, I, I would give my nod to him. Um, just a word to the wise, if in case our friend Maddie is listening to this, you know how to pronounce um, Jakob's name correctly. And she did correct Michael Bailey on his podcast last night. So you have to say it, Sørensen. No, I don't, because um, she's not well, on it. All right, you don't, but um, you know. Michael I'm just Bailey's paid it's, it's to incorrect. understand how to pronounce names. I'm just some tit in um, just giving my opinion for free. So no, that when, might, when that this might be the pay- most accurate thing you've ever said, mate. There you go. When, this, when, I, when there is money changing hands, um, the, the level of effort will increase. <laughs> all right. I'm sure. I'm um, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Jakob doesn't mind Sorensen. Zoe, before I ask the final question, who was your man of the match on Saturday? I really don't disagree with the Brandon Williams uh, argument. I think that, you know, I think he's terrific um, and just really displaying the kind of character that we need from our players. And, um, you know, for for a lone player from a bigger club, in inverted commas, uh, coming coming in, you know, it would be perfectly understandable, maybe not ideal, but understandable if he he wasn't completely committed to the cause. And But I think, you know, Smith has praised him in the past and, and you can see that, he's up for it and he's up for a scrap and I think he'd be up for a scrap, you know, if he just stopped to play, um, to play a game with some strangers in a park on a Saturday morning. Like I think he's that kind of character. So I don't disagree with that, but I think, you know, I think either, you know, it's maybe too obvious, but um, it'd be a bit harsh to take it away from him because um, he hasn't had many man of the match performances. And I think, you know, he was, he was the real standout. So I'd give it to him. Nice. All right. Last question. Um, and Mick Saunders has asked, this is obviously a really nitpicky issue, but he's asked, why do both our change kits, the away and the third, both clash with the two teams who we had to wear them against, which is Watford, i.e. yellow slash black. We've got a black-ish away kit. And then Wolves in old gold slash black. And I guess the, the, our peach or salmon number probably clashes with that. And, you know, you couldn't have that. 
Colo, as a member of the supporters panel who feeds these kinds of issues back to the club, I'm sure with some kind of regularity, what are your thoughts on this? As a member of the supporters panel, I have to say that we are only involved in non-footballing matters. So, you know, I, well, I, I'm not don't sure play whether... Football, do they? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly trying to find a way out of answering this question. So <laughs> if you could just kind of give me a hand. Um, I... I don't know. I mean, no one plays in black, obviously, as a first kit because referees. Um, I don't think I, I think the black kit will be fine against Watford. Black with kind of, I don't know, electric blue trim, is it? I really like the away kit. Um, Watford, have, yeah, I, I suppose Watford have got quite a lot of black patterning on their shirt, haven't they? And then if we end up wearing that horrible pink thing, Against I think yellow. that's what that's we're wearing. Good. I think that is what we're oh, wearing. Oh, God, that's going to be a real eyesore, that, isn't it? Yellow and pink. And yeah, I was oh. about to say that the kit's cursed, but I think you could probably say that of any kit that we've worn this season up until now, given <laughs> that we've only recorded three victories, so probably not. Um, I like the black kit. Um, I'm, yeah, I don't like the pink one. I'll say it. There we go. There you go. Zoe, do you have any kit-related thoughts or insight for us? Uh Oh, it's all nonsense, isn't it? Like, it's easy to get carried away with this stuff, but it's all. Like, they seem to change. They change the kit for no apparent reason. Some games, and then on Saturday we had Chelsea and Man City both wearing blue, and mm. that I mean that was too much blue in my opinion. Uh, far too much blue. But I know they don't. You know, it was perfectly easy to tell who was who, but. You know, if we came even close to having a team that was vaguely, you know, even had a sort of yellow fleck at some point on their shorts or whatever, we would change our kit because we, you know, we need any excuse. So I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to get too bothered by it. Just let them play. <laughs> See, I am someone who gets very bothered about kits, and I can confidently <laughs> say that I think that these three kits are the worst that we've we've ever had in my history of supporting Norwich in terms of kits, but. Look, wowzers! Yeah, I'm. I'm not fans. I like. I quite, quite like both my kids have the um the away kit, and they both like it. And I don't mind that one, but I can't remember a time that all three kits have been, or I just haven't really been that into. Usually, there's been one that I've picked that that I thought was was nice. So um, Joma or Homer, I think we're supposed to say. That's how you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, yeah, haven't got off to the the best of starts in my eyes. But as Zoe. Absolutely, you know, says it, it is all nonsense. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be back to the serious business of football come Friday. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm ne- never a truer word spoken um, on our podcast. It is all nonsense. Um, enjoy <laughs> Watford, wherever you are watching, however you are watching, whether or not you accidentally stumble across it via the internet, like Colo does, doesn't, um, Mr. Officer uh, or Mrs. <laughs> Officer. Uh, and make sure that uh, you uh, keep, keep your eyes peeled for another episode, winging your way soon, of Along Come Norwich, asking questions that our guests don't care about, but Pun cares about very very much um, really appreciate your your ears thanks for giving them to us uh, enjoy the game mind how you go